to you from God's Word. For the, uh, for the last number of weeks, we have been asking and answering some why, why we questions. I really felt directed by the Holy Spirit during this time of a bit of transition in our church simply because of the sanctuary and, and even beyond that, just as a bit of a reminder to come back and answer these questions, why do we do certain things? Several weeks ago, we began asking this question, why do we believe? And I went to a particular text where that blind man, that man who had been born blind and how at the beginning of the day he knows nothing about Jesus, only that someone came and spit in the ground and <coughs> put some water, that mud in his eyes, and he went and washed and he was made well. By the end of the day, he believed, and he, in fact, he worshipped Jesus Christ. When you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, whether it be 1960-something or last week or somewhere in between, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, there was something that, that even before that you believed enough, but your belief did not stop growing. It's continuing. This, we also ask, why do we pray? Well, why don't we pray? Why, why, why can't we pray? The one who created us, the one who saved us, the one who gave himself for us, we can talk to him? How wonderful is that? And so we ask, why do we pray? A couple of weeks ago, last week we had a guest here, but the week before that we asked the question, why do we belong? Why are we a part of a body of believers why, why do we come? Do we come to church because it's Sunday morning and that's what we do? I hope not. Do we, do we belong here because it's a part of a denomination? I hope that's not the only reason. Uh, it is because, well, it's a nice place and they're fixing it up and, and it's warm and it sure beats a snowbank. I hope that's not the reason. I hope you have a sense of belonging, not because of any one person, but because of the person and because God has given us each other. We're part of a body of believers, and you belong here. If God has directed you here, then you belong here, and we're so glad that you are here. Well, this morning, I want to look at this question, and that is, why do we serve? And there, there's, there's a bit of a sequence here. Why do we believe and then pray, and then why do we belong, and then why, why do we serve? What do we mean by serve? I'm talking about why do we not just come in this place and receive, but we also give? Why, why, do we, why do we come, and not only within this building, but why do we give, out, give of ourselves? Why do we give out? And I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 10, if you would. And again, I encourage you to bring your Bibles. I don't, it, I, if it's paper or if it's digital, I don't care. Just bring a Bible so you can follow along, and hopefully something to take notes as well. But turn in your Bibles to Mark, chapter 10. Uh, let me give you a little bit of setup on this text. In verses 35 and following, two of Jesus' disciples, in fact, two of those who were closest to Jesus, there were, there were three disciples that were closer than most of the disciples. Uh, two of those were brothers. Their names were James and John. And the Bible records here in Mark chapter 10 that uh, they came to Jesus with a request. They very nicely, I'm sure, they asked Jesus if they could have an important position when Jesus came into his kingdom. Our guest last week referred to this text briefly. But they asked this question. They said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, by the way, they were thinking earthly kingdom. 
They were not thinking something of eternal consequence. They were thinking like Jesus is going to be the one to come and and kick out Herod, and he's going to be the one to come and, and kick out the Roman conquerors, the occupiers. This is the one who's going. So they're thinking earthly kingdom. And so James and John, these two brothers, they came to Jesus, and they essentially said this. When you come into your kingdom, we want the good seats. We want one of us to be on your right hand and the other on your left hand. You go ahead and choose, Jesus, which, which one you want. Some people have said that their mother put them up to it because elsewhere in Scripture it says their mother came and said, Jesus, I want good seats for my boys. And so they come and they, they share this request, almost a command, almost a directive to Jesus, which I think is pretty gutsy. But they came and they, they make this request. But then in verse 41, a few verses later, when the other ten disciples, there were twelve, when the other ten disciples heard about their request, they were kind of put out at James and John. No big surprise there, right? Who do you think you are? I can imagine that's something of what they said. Who do you think you are asking for the good seats? What are we? Are we second rate? Do we get at the foot of the table? Where do we end up at the table? Why do you get the good seats? Let me just add something in here. One of the most destructive and underrated things that we can let go in our lives is envy. I'm going to say that again. One of the most destructive, though sometimes overlooked things in our lives is this sin called envy. When we look at someone else and we think they got something better than we did, and if we allow that to take root in our hearts, it can bring all kinds of destruction. And there was bringing conflict right here among these disciples. Verse 42, Jesus said this. He said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Jesus said, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. Let me just just hold there for a moment. Jesus here is is, is basically, and I paraphrase here, he said, guys, you're, you're looking at it from an earthly standpoint. You're looking at it the way that the world looks at it. You want the good seats. You want recognition. You want power. You want influence. He said, that's how the world operates. He says, but we're going to do it differently. Not so with you, he said. He said, said, the greatest among you will be the slave, or later on he uses the word servant. Again, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And what Jesus was doing here. He was bringing in a concept that was almost so revolutionary, so contrary to the way that people thought then and now, that it, it, I don't know that they could grasp it. Now look at verse 45. The next verse says this. Jesus said this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Understand the whole concept here, the, the big picture. Jesus was, it started with these two guys saying, we want the good seats. Jesus said, guys, this is not how we're going to operate. That's how the world operates. We're going to do it differently. The most important, influential among you is going to be the one who serves the most. It's going to be the servant. It's going to be the the slave. 
And then he brings it to himself. He uses himself as object number one, example number one. He said, even the Son of Man, referring to himself, he said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I doubt that the disciples realized it at the time. I don't think that, you know, at the time they go, oh, I get it, I understand, I know exactly what you're talking about, Jesus. I think, this is my opinion, this doesn't really record much of what they thought, I think they, they kind of went like this, what is he talking about? The slave, the servant becoming the greatest. What are you talking about, a ransom for many? They, they could not under, I think in retrospect, looking back years later or months later, they understood what he meant. But at this moment, it was almost too big of a thought for them. But Jesus was essentially giving him, giving them rather, his mission statement, his purpose in coming. That statement that you see on the screen there before you, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, that is, that is Jesus saying, this is why I came. Maybe you're familiar with those words, and it's a very familiar statement of Jesus. Maybe you've heard them, maybe even memorized it, but you never realized that this was actually Jesus' mission statement. But it is. In 24 words, Jesus laid out why he came and why he did what he did. Two things, Jesus said. He said he came to serve and he came to give his life as a ransom, a sacrifice for our sins. Two things Jesus said. I came to serve and I came to be the sacrifice. Now you understand, I'm talking some pretty big concepts here, but it's nothing that not one of us is beyond our thoughts or our understanding you understand that, that if Jesus would have simply gone to the cross, and by that I don't, mean, I don't mean to minimize it, but if all Jesus had done was to come, born as a child there in that familiar place, that familiar story uh, of Bethlehem, had he come and then lived in absolute seclusion, holed up in a cave someplace, in absolute obscurity, just for the total of 33 years working in his father's carpentry shop, and then within the span of just a few hours, made his way to Jerusalem, though it was more than a few hours away, but make his way to Jerusalem, declare himself, be hung on a cross, raised from the dead. If he would have done that, it would have been sufficient for our sins. Because he was and he is God. He was perfect. Had, had, he, had he bypassed all of the things in between and just gone to the cross, it would have been enough to forgive our sins. Jesus, by dying on the cross and being raised from the dead, paid the price for our sins, glory to God. But he did more than that. He didn't just go to the cross, though I don't mean that in any kind of a minimizing way. With that sacrifice, he paid for our sins, but it would not have fulfilled the entirety of his mission. Because remember, he says here in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he said, the Son of Man has come to serve. The Son of Man has not come to be served, to be ministered to, but to serve. 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said he also came to serve. Perhaps you've never noticed that. Perhaps you've never thought that all he really had to do was die on the cross, but he wanted to do something more. He wanted to serve. Why? To give us an example. He came to both serve and give his life as a ransom for many. From the very beginning, from the shepherds who first saw him, to the the wise men who worshipped him, and to his family that wondered about him, and, and his cousin who later declared him, and the disciples that, that, that copied him, emulated him, the crowds that followed him, the, the sick and the, the dying who, who pursued him, even the religious elite who opposed him, to the worst kinds of sinners who befriended him, the Bible, in the Gospels, we see again and again how Jesus served each one of them. Each one of them. Jesus served. Every interaction in which you see Jesus meeting with someone, some of them were confrontational, some of them were comforting, some of them were teaching, some of them were extending his power. But on every occasion in which Jesus had some kind of an interaction with someone, he is serving them, even to the point of the cross. As he's hanging, as he's being nailed to the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He, He serves them. Those people who nailed him to the cross, he served them, ministered to, extended himself to them. He's hanging on the cross. He looks down, he sees his mother, and the one disciple who showed up, John. The guy who said, give me one of the good seats. I wonder where James was that day. But Jesus looks down and he says to John, he says, John, you take care of, from now from this day on, you're like her son. And, and he says to his mother, Mary, and from this day on, he's like your son. And, and you're gonna t- he's, he's going to take care of you. He's serving. He looks over. He looks over. This guy on one side, I'm not sure if it was his right or his left, but, but one of, the, one of the, the guys who was dying with him, the thieves, is dying with him, and he says, one guy says, get us off the cross, and the other guy says, hey, get so uptight about it. Don't even use those words. It was, but he said, don't, don't, get so, don't get angry at him. Don't curse him. And he said, when you come into your, when, remember me when you come into paradise. And Jesus said, I tell you this day, uh, today you will be with me in paradise. What was Jesus doing? He was ministering. He was extending. He was serving. That's what he did. John chapter 13 was one of those times. Turn there. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. It happened at what we call the Last Supper. Just before Jesus went to the cross to become that ransom for many, just hours before that, he, he demonstrated in a very in a very graphic, in a very powerful way, he demonstrated his heart to serve. In verse 4 of John chapter 13, it says this, Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, now this shocked, this must have shocked the disciples as Jesus, their teacher, did what servants did. 
Now they remembered some months or maybe even a couple of years before what Jesus said, that he had not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I don't know what they were thinking of it at this moment, but here's what Jesus was doing. He was demonstrating that heart to serve. And with his hands, with Jesus' hands, those amazing hands that had healed and those amazing hands that had delivered people and blessed and, and comforted people, with those very same hands, Jesus got down and he washed those dirty, crusty, calloused feet. And he didn't do it to draw attention. I don't think Jesus got up that morning thinking, boy, I'm going to prove a point today. No, he was simply living out that mission statement and that was to serve and to give his life. But Jesus didn't stop there. Because it says that he turned it back on them. Look at, look at verse, look further down in, in verses 14 and 15. Jesus said this, Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you as an example... I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So here's Jesus. He's been walking with them, ministering with them, living with them for the better part of three years. And he gets down in the hours before he's to be betrayed and, and beaten and then crucified. And he begins to wash their feet, but it wasn't to make a point about himself. It was really to make a point about them. He says, what I have done... I want you to do. You also should wash one another's feet. Now let me tell you folks, it wasn't about basins and water and feet. He's speaking figuratively here. Though sometimes perhaps literally is appropriate, but he's talking, he says, I want you to be the servant. I'm going to set you guys out. I'm going to send you guys out and you're going to be servants. This, this is how you're going to do it. You are going to serve. Well, this morning... In these, in these times that we have together that go so quickly, in these times that we have together, we've been asking these why questions, why we questions. Why do we serve? Why do we do that? Why, why is serving such an important part of who we're supposed to be? Number one is we serve because Jesus served. We serve because Jesus served. This morning, if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, by the way, Christian means little Christ or follower of Christ. If you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are truly a Christian, then you will serve. It's not optional. You don't really have a whole lot of, if you're truly going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not going to be all about you receiving service, it's going to be about you serving. We serve because he served. That, that's about 90% of it right there. That, that's the biggest element. Why do we serve? Because he served. Because he gave us an example. Because he didn't live in obscurity for the totality of 33 years and then go to the cross and become. He did. He went to the cross. He became the provision, the sacrifice for our sins. But during those three years of public ministry and probably a lot of other times that we don't know about, aren't supposed to know about, won't know about until heaven, he, even before that time, I'm sure he served. And he gave us an example. He gave us an example. We serve because he served. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, here in the sanctuary, we acknowledged the teachers and the ministry leaders and the volunteers who, who do so much here. You know what? I'm just going to call them what they are, your servants. 
Some of you, um, and I know some of your story, I know how some, some of what you go through, and you get up earlier on Sunday, and you come here and teach, and, and you, you, you work hard during the week, and then Wednesdays, Wednesdays are often a very hard day, a very challenging day, and then you come here and you minister for a couple of hours to people. Or you, you lead a Bible study someplace, or you do something else uh, during the week on a, almost a regular basis. I want to thank you as servants. You're more than, you're more, your title is bigger than teacher or ministry leader or helper. You are a servant of the Most High God, and I want to thank you for doing it. God bless you. You're servants. Also, two weeks ago, two weeks ago tonight, we had, we had an annual members' dinner, and we, we uh, uh, selected, elected again two, two new deacons, and, and, and thank God for, for those, those men who allow their names to come up and, and step forward. And, 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 but you know what all the deacons are? They're, they're just, they're, they're servants. They're servants. That's what they are. I see it. What, what little recognition they get is, really doesn't amount to a whole lot. It's going to be an eternal thing. But what are they? They're servants. And I want to thank the servants who serve. But thank God that servanthood goes beyond these walls. This morning I heard that the, the bus didn't start, and so Tim Larson went and picked up a whole bunch of people in his pickup, and his pickup probably wasn't as clean as the, the church van either. But you know what? That's, that's servanthood. No one asked him to do that. He just did it. Why do we do these kinds of things? Because, we, because, he, because he gave us a great example. Serving happens beyond these walls more than within them. Last week, again, this letter that we received from O.M. Tiffany. Thank you, people who have served and ministered and prayed, and now they're calling us to come in and help with difficult situations. Glory to God. <coughs> Why? Because of servants. Last week, we, we prayed for that team from AFA that's building that church in Nicaragua. In fact, just a couple days ago, I think Friday night, Doug Mucky sent me a picture. Let's go ahead and put those, that picture up there. You see that up in the upper left-hand corner, you see the team, and down below here, you see uh, just uh, one image of the, the church that they're constructing. And let me tell you something. Now, that's, that's six of the guys. Romel Fortin's going to be going here in another week or so, is going to be going uh, with another team from Fargo, but it's, they're all from our church. But these six guys, listen, I've known most of those guys, with, with the exception of Mark on the far right, I've known all the rest of those guys for a lot of years, and I'll tell you what, not one of them is perfect. And if you're related to one of them, you can say, amen. They're not perfect. They don't have it all together but they're servants. They're taking time away from their jobs. They're taking times away from their families. They're, they're at their, a lot of their own expense. They're going down there, and what are they doing? Why? Because, because Jesus served, they're serving. Some of you do so much beyond these walls. Some of you, God has moved on your heart to do things that <coughs> I could never announce because I, I, I don't know about them. But you're serving because Jesus served and he put it on your heart to serve so this morning you want to be like jesus and people you know do you want to be like jesus well everybody you know any christian will say yeah, i want to be like jesus well then serve and wash somebody's feet not literally but do the difficult thing do the thing that is unexpected do the thing that they, they why are you doing this by the way do you know one of the persons that jesus whose feet jesus washed judas 
and he knew Judas was going to betray him. In just a matter of hours, he knew Judas was the guy. And he washed his feet. That's amazing. What a heart. Here's another. We serve because there are needs all around us. There are needs all around us. I'll tell you, folks, I see it all the time, you see it all the time, but the brokenness and the sorrow and the depravity and the pain in our world is almost overwhelming. I'm telling you, it is. There are, there are times when I just, at the end of the day, I say, Lord, the, the stuff that I've seen and heard and talked about in people's life, it is heartbreaking. I know some of the stuff that some of you are going through right now, and it is, it is so heavy. It is so heartbreaking. The needs are around us. You don't have to go very far. Some of you are working jobs and you're working on a team with someone and you see such lostness or so, so much brokenness or so much heartache. The needs are, you don't have to go very far. Ten steps and you're going to find someone's need. It's easy, I have found. It's very easy to point out the wretchedness of our world and then do little or nothing about it. It's very easy to point out how bad our world is, our community is, this person is, and then do little or nothing to redeem it. But I want to thank the servants who look at the needs around them, and some of them, the needs are so great, and you're, you say, I can't do much, but I'm going to do what I can. That's, that's servanthood. You see, to accomplish His will, God almost always chooses to use people. In Acts chapter 28, Paul saw some, some cold and shipwrecked survivors on a beach in Malta. So what does he do? He gathered sticks and he made a fire. That is so practical. I mean, the Apostle Paul, I mean, talk about, I mean, we're like, you know, one of the two first missionaries, powerful man of God, wrote a bunch of the books that you hold in your hand, a part of the Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit. I mean, powerfully. And what is he doing? He sees a need, so he starts a fire. Mark chapter 6, the disciples, they see a hungry crowd that had come out to listen to Jesus. They say, what are we going to do? There's hungry people here. And Jesus used those disciples to separate them into groups of 50 and then to distribute the food that Jesus miraculously provided. But he used people to meet a need. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John saw that crippled beggar Jesus used them. The ascended Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, used them to give the man not what he wanted, but what he needed. You see, that's what followers of Jesus Christ do. That's what followers, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you say you're a Christian. Followers of Jesus Christ look around them and directed by the Holy Spirit, see the need, observe the need, and then do something about it. They serve. This morning, at the close of our time, we're going to pray that God will help us, supernaturally help us, so that our eyes are opened, so that when we see the need, we also, in that moment, realize we have a part in meeting the need. That's what we need to pray. The need is there. Folks, the need is there. You don't have to pray, oh Lord, let there be a need. The need is already there. You need to pray. We need to pray. I need to pray. Oh, Lord, let me see it. And then respond. Do something about it. 
We serve because God rewards servants. God rewards his servants. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said something as small as one cup of cold water given in his name will be recorded. Something as small, you go, come on, a cup of cold water? Absolutely. Something as small. So if it's as small as that, here, I give this to you in the name of Jesus. Boy, that would wig somebody out, wouldn't it? You're at work someday and you see him coughing, so you get up, go to the drinking fountain, get him a glass of water and say, I give this to you in the name of Jesus. Watch him start sputtering then. But if you do that, Jesus said, I'll reward you. Jesus also said in Mark chapter 10 that his followers who gave up so much would receive a hundred times as much. That's what Jesus said. Whatever you've given up, whatever it might be, in service to me, whatever you've given up, you'll be rewarded 100 times as much. Listen, when you serve, when you serve, when you minister, it's another word for it, when you give out, when you do that, when you serve, when you, you will pour out spiritual energy and you will pour out love and you will extend God's grace and you will extend the peace of Jesus Christ and you will extend patience, and you will pour it out, and you will give it out. But let me tell you something. Here's what's going to happen. You will, that, that, that you, you, that will put you into a place to receive more from Christ than you ever had before. If you are giving out, if you are ministering, you say, I don't have the strength. Listen, I'll talk about that in a moment. You say, I don't have it. If you give it out, God will give you more. If you give it out, God will give if you serve God will give you more to serve. If you if you pour out of yourself, he'll give you more. That's a pretty good reward itself. I you know, I, I know that I'm storing up treasure in heaven, but I thank God for what he blesses me with right now. He uses me. I get to be a part of the I get to be part of the the solution. God rewards his servants. You'll still find reasons for not being a servant of the Most High God. You, you, you will find reasons for not serving. I've heard them and I've used them. The enemy of your souls will tell you this. You don't have time. You ever heard that from the enemy? You don't have time for this. You do not have time to do this. You see an opportunity. You see a place. You see a, 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 a need. And, and, all the, and, and in your mind you go, I don't have time for this. The enemy will whisper that to you. Or the enemy will say this, you're damaged goods. The enemy will say, you can't serve, you need to be served. You can't give of yourself, you have nothing to give because you're too wounded. You're hurting too bad. You've done too many bad things. You've ruined it. You can't serve. You've, un you're, you've been disqualified. You can't serve. The enemy will whisper in your ear, you don't have the ability. You don't have the ability. Listen, being God's servant to others has almost nothing to do with expertise. Let me say that again. If you want to be a servant of the Most High God, it has almost nothing to do with expertise. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, all of them talk about the gifts that he gives us to serve people. Jesus will make you able when you make yourself available. 
Jesus will make you able. He will give you the ability if you give him your availability. It's a very timeless principle. People say, oh, I don't have anything to give. I don't have anything. I'm nothing. They get down on themselves. It's pride, really. They get down on themselves. They focus on themselves. I don't have anything. I've heard people say, oh, I'm so, I've just, I, I'm hurting so bad I can't do it. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to really be really strong on this. Some of you need to suck it up. You've been wounded. I get that. People get hurt. But if you keep using that excuse and say, I can't be used of God because I've been wounded, you're going to have to get over that because someday you're going to stand in front of God and he's going to say, what did you do with the time that I gave you? And your excuse, your lame excuse of, uh, I was hurt, someone wounded me, I'm, I'm a victim, isn't going to cut it on that day. Because Jesus is going to say, I was and am your healer. Why didn't you experience that? Why did you live in that self-pity? Why weren't you used of me? Tell you what, there are times, I know, man, I know, sometimes it's, it's hard and we, we need to receive ministry, but we cannot stay in that perpetual place of victimhood. We need to be used of God. And you can play wounded. You can be used of God even in a wounded state. But let me tell you something, when you extend God's grace through you into someone else, some of his grace is going to touch you and he's going to heal you. And the healing's going to come in the serving. The healing is going to come in the serving. Some of you need to get a hold of that today. It's one more reason why we serve. And that is this, we serve because when we do so, we are blessed. When we do so, we are blessed. Every person here this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I am very confident that every person here today says, I want to live in the blessing of God. If you don't believe that, see me later. But I'm pretty confident that every person here wants to live in the blessings of God. God, I want your blessing. In fact, you may have prayed it this morning. God, would you bless me today? You may have prayed that at some point this last week. Oh, God, I want to walk in your blessing. Please, Lord, bless this. And you ask for his blessing. Every person here. Back in John chapter 13, that was the occasion where Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. Uh, he then called them to serve others. He said, you know, I've done this as an example to you so that you too will serve and wash other people's feet. But then in verse 17, Jesus said this, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I don't know about you, but I want to live in the blessing of God. Now let me see your hand. Now don't be reticent. If you really believe this, I want to see your hands. How many here want to live in the blessing of God? I do. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You want to live in the blessing of God? Serve. See a need. Allow the Holy Spirit to enlighten you and bring something to, to your attention. And, and, and you're going, I can't do it. That's the enemy. I don't have the time. That's the enemy. Um, I'm hurting too bad. That's the enemy. God wants to use you. And when he uses you, because you know these things, if you do them, it's conditional. You will be blessed. His words, not mine. So whose feet are you going to wash? Figuratively speaking, whose feet are you going to wash? What person in the next couple of days or few weeks is the Lord going to bring into your life or has already brought into your life? Or has already placed before you and he's just waiting for a response. 
whose feet will you wash? I'm going to give you a heads up on something. They will come at an inopportune time. It will, it will not come at a good time. It will come when the stress level is here, not here. It's going to come when the available time is here, not here. It will come at an inopportune time, and it will be difficult. But this is my prayer, that when that opportunity is placed before you, the Holy Spirit brings back this time, and you say, Lord, I ask to be your servant. Whose feet will you wash? By the way, you, you may also be tempted in that moment to think they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. That person does not deserve my service. I will wash anyone else's feet, but not that person's feet. I will not minister to that person. It may be that person. Whose feet will you wash? You will think that you don't have the time or the ability or the energy to serve. But whose feet will you wash? For you understand, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you were made to serve. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You and I cannot say the entirety of that verse because only one could be the ransom for many. But we can declare the first part of it. He gave us the example. He gave us the example in so many, on so many occasions. Will you serve? Will you be in that moment? In that moment, and it's going to come. Because if you pray it today, I promise you it's going to come. He's looking for people who are willing to serve. When it comes, whose feet will you wash? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Come to a very holy moment where it is an opportunity for you to respond to the ways in which the Holy Spirit has spoken to you through this message. For you to bypass this and to ignore this would be as as wrong as it would be for me, for the Holy Spirit, when He directs me to preach this, to ignore it and say, no, I won't. Now the responsibility is upon you. Whose feet will you wash? Would you... Right where you are, make an altar of prayer. An altar is a place in which something is placed and, not, and then left there. An altar is also a place where God speaks to people. They come to that altar without something and you give them something to take away. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this altar of prayer. I thank you for this altar and where, where they are right now, where they're seated right now. And in that altar, I pray that they would place, on that altar, I pray that they would place themselves and say, Lord, 
I'm your servant. I give up my desires again. I give up my self-centeredness again. I give up my desire to be in the good place again. I surrender again my pursuit of comfort and self-fulfillment. I lay it on the altar again. But Jesus, while we are at this altar, I do pray this as well. I pray this alongside my brothers and sisters. Pray it together. Lord, give me something at this altar that I didn't come with. Put in my heart and my mind something at this altar that I will take away and I will use for your glory. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I give it all to you. Help me see the needs around me. But then at that critical juncture, may I not simply condemn the evil or the heartache or the depravity around me. But may I serve so that light will overtake darkness in that small corner of the world. Would you use us as your servants, Lord? For some reason, you desire to accomplish the majority of your will through Holy Spirit-led people. And so we make ourselves available to you again to do your work and your will in our world. Start in our life, our homes, our marriages, our parenting, our workplace, our school, the person next door, the person who annoys me, the person who drives me up a wall, the person I'd rather even not even look at. God, make me your servant. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for my brothers and sisters who prayed this same prayer. Change them at this altar. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please? It's a little bit, uh, <clears throat> a little bit difficult here, but we still call this an altar area. By the way, you can't go in there because it's dark in there and dirty in there, but you should see the altar space that we have in our new sanctuary. It's huge. It's exciting. Well, this is a little harder and not as pretty as the other one's going to be, but it's still an altar area, so please know that if you want to come up at the close of this service, spend some extra time with the Lord. Music's going to be playing. There'll be a lot of fellowship further back, in the, but Let's keep this up here. If you keep your discussion around here, somebody may want to come and spend some more time with the Lord and say, Lord, drive me a little bit deeper. You can come on your knees. You can come and sit. But uh, this place is for you. It's an altar. Jesus, I ask your blessing upon my brothers and sisters this day. Now as they leave this place, Lord, they go into a great mission field. 
It's called Aberdeen. It's called Redfield. It's called Millet. It's called Leola. It's called Ellendale. It's called Frederick. It's, it's called Groton. It's called Ipswich. And it's called a lot of different places in between. But Jesus, <clears throat> wherever it is, Lord, it's a harvest field where you've been called to as servants. Help us to do your work and your will there. Make us into the servants. Oh, we'll never be quite like you, but Jesus, would you make us more like you? And in that process, make us servants. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this morning. Again, these altars are open.